All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body. I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy. I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well? We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 60 of the Biohacker Babes. I'm Lauren and I'm here with my sister Renee. And we wanted to have a really casual dialogue today that is kind of a sequel to a previous episode that we did about Renee's experience with coronavirus. So we're going to go a little bit deeper into that, and I'll let Renee tell you who our special guest is today, but we're going to keep it really casual, and we just want to go into actually both of their experiences, and we want to navigate how this is kind of different for everyone. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. So very special guest today. Um, I feel like you should get a prize if you can guess who it's going to be. It is... My husband, Ryan. Uh, welcome, Ryan, to the show. We're so excited to kind of chat through this because like Lauren said on the last episode where I talked about my experience, I did not even mention that you had it at the same time. 
So it'll be really fun to jump in and share the differences between our experience and what you did. So welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I mean, as you both know, I'm your biggest fan in the world. It's cool to learn and listen to all your episodes, but it's really cool to finally get to be a part of it and be a guest. So I'm really excited to share my experience as well. Featured. Yay. We're so happy to have you. (laughs) (laughs) Happy to be here. So I just wanted to say, I I think it's interesting uh, just in the differences between my own experience with this virus and you guys across the country. I live in New York and I know tons of people that have had this and like pretty personal accounts of people that have had uh, very bad experiences with this. And you guys in Vegas, you, you don't know anyone else right? Like you're the no. only ones in your circle. Yeah. You don't know anyone else personally that has this. So when, yeah, yeah we, ahead, still, we still have not met anyone in Vegas really that we were, especially that we were in contact with. And actually once we found out we both had it, we looked back to, you know, the two weeks prior to see who were we around, who could we have exposed. We reached out to everyone and none of those people got it. Fortunately, even though the Vegas cases have definitely gone up, just in our circle of friends, no one else has had it. Yeah. Basically everybody we told, they all said the typical, you guys are the first ones that we've even heard have it. It must be real. People are actually getting this. And at first (laughs) I think, you know, we, we hesitated a lot to, to share it. Obviously we quarantined and we were careful not to spread it, but in terms of, you know, telling people we had it, there was definitely a, a stigma associated to it. A little bit of a pariah like effect that, I personally was kind of just scared to share it. I, d- I didn't want people to know I had the the COVID, you know, but I think at some point in time, we reached a place where we thought we could really help people. And if we shared our experience, not only could they relate, especially in our unique situation where even the first time you guys did an episode and Renee talked about her experience and didn't even mention me in that, I was still kind of at that uncomfortable state. But now being able to give that perspective of an expert in the field, you know, around biohacking and the different therapies and supplements that you can do. And then me being kind of the layman's that doesn't really know uh, as a non-expert what to do and how to even, you know, experience it in the same way. I thought that was a really, you know, unique model for us both to see it and experience it differently. Well, we're so happy that you were brave enough to come on and talk about it. I totally understand that getting sick. I've never had coronavirus, but just having like a cold or a flu, I've felt, you know, like afraid to tell anyone that I was sick at times, depending on what I'm doing, who I'm around. So I can understand that on the the spectrum of illnesses in our world, especially something like coronavirus, it's so unknown and uncertain. And then something even uh, kind of similar, like the AIDS epidemic, like I, I can't imagine the fear in sharing that information with loved ones, friends, anyone you come in contact with. So thank you for coming on and talking about it. I think it's really helpful. And for any of those, anyone in the audience that does not know someone, we're happy to share like just personal experiences. So from my experience, you guys both had a very different experience. We kind of know Renee's experience at this point, but we'll do a little recap. And then I would love to just hear... Actually, Ryan, why don't you just go into your entire... What was the first thing you felt? Symptoms, and then we'll go back to Renee. Yeah. So it's kind of funny with me because I've always claimed to Renee and to everyone in my life that I like don't, I don't really ever get sick. I, I don't know if it's because I ate a lot of dirt as a kid or did something. <laughs> my immune system <laughs> is about. invincible most of the time. I, I haven't had any form of a flu or even serious illness in at least 15 years, maybe 20 years. Cold. And can I say yeah. even when I had mono back in 2007, Ryan and I were dating at the time. We hadn't seen each other in four months. 
I came back from Spain. I had mono and we were like, well, we can't kiss, right? Mono, the kissing disease. I, I didn't want to get him sick. And he was like, I don't care. It's been four months. I'm going to kiss you anyways. His experience with mono was he coughed for like one day. I had a light, light little, <laughs> light little wow. cough and then I was hundred percent. And I, I was in bed for six months <laughs> and he had a cough for a day. So oh. that just shows you his immune system. Yeah. 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 I and mean, the 13 years that I've known you, I think I've seen you get sick once. Yeah. I, I just, I've always had a good immune system. So I assumed, you know, COVID's not a threat either. You know, I won't come across it. Or even if I get it, it it'll, a sport, especially for someone like, you know, healthy and young, I was like, it'll be easy to get through and I'll have no problem. And, uh, as we kind of get into my overall experience, you'll see where I was definitely blindsided a little in terms of the severity of my reaction to it and, and how it's so unique for everybody and everybody might have a different reaction. And while of course, you know, health and youth and all that is very important for having a better potential opportunity to fight it more quickly. It's not always the case. You definitely have different symptoms, different reactions and all that. So definitely go into some of that in my experience. Yeah. So what, maybe share some of like your, your symptoms. Cause I think that was a big difference. Our symptoms were so different. It was almost like, is this the same virus? Different illnesses. Yeah. Yeah. So when I first kicked things off and first started feeling anything. It was after working out, I started to have a severe eye strain. If I glanced one way or another, it was like razor sharp pain in my eyelids. It wasn't really a headache or a migraine, but it was razor sharp pain in my eyelids. And I assumed it was just major dehydration and you know, maybe from working out or I didn't know what it was. I just assumed mainly a basic uh, yeah, dehydration. And you made it sound like it was maybe just a headache. Yeah. It was it was out of the norm for you, but yeah. And and yeah. we were so speculative about getting COVID or coming across it. We still had the whole mentality that it was maybe more of a media thing or whatever. And because no one was in our circle with it, so I didn't even suspect that. And later that night, Renee took my temperature right before bed, and I had started to get a fever. I think I was maybe a hundred at the time. It was like one hundred two. Oh. 101 or 102. It was pretty high that first night. So that started to make me worry, but once again, still not even thinking COVID was possible um, at the time. And then went to bed and I woke up in the middle of the night soaked in sweat, like two in the morning, just completely bed was soaked, woke up and then immediately started being freezing cold because I was sweaty. And then just almost a state of confusion. What was even going on? I assumed, oh, great. I caught a flu, you know, or some of some form. And And I was already sick. And so I remember you waking me up in the middle of the night and you were like, I'm sorry, but the sheets are soaked. (laughs) So at like two in the morning, me having COVID, didn't know I had COVID at the time. I was like, it's okay. I can change the sheets. You're fine. You're like, we were both like so confused because it was in the middle of the night. But that hadn't happened to you, right, Renee? You were already sick, but you didn't have that. No, I never had like the severe sweats. Yeah, I think I think that's where our symptoms were so different that, you know, obviously I assumed whatever Renee had, I had, but I didn't know why our symptoms were so different because Renee wasn't even catching fever. I mean, it was, your temperature was, I mean, for you, it might've been a little high because you're normally 97 and change and you were in the <laughs> 99 range. So 99.5, watch out. <laughs> it was a little high, but it was just, you know, definitely weird to have different symptoms. In terms of all the symptoms you heard that COVID is supposed to have, like, loss of taste and smell, and then the respiratory stuff, I didn't have any of that out of the gate. So for me, I still wasn't even suspecting COVID. Had a lot of trouble sleeping the rest of that night after waking up soaked in sweat. And finally, the next day, started to really feel fatigued. Fatigue started to kick in. Couldn't, you know, even 
go for a walk around the block. Uh, definitely massive fatigue. And then over time, started to develop just a light, dry cough. Still fairly minor symptoms, just very flu-like and, and you know, just that trouble sleeping because of the temperature dysregulation. Is that the right word? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> what was really interesting is after about three days of those same symptoms um, and still no respiratory challenges or anything, I basically reached a state of normal again. My symptoms started to go away and I'm like, here we go again. This is just like mono. I'm going to be out of the woods in three days. Who cares about this? This is easy. Then I basically, you know, nosedived after that. Just fell, I woke up and soaked in sweat again and symptoms started to dial up and that's when the respiratory challenges started at that point. And if I can just jump in, that apparently that's a really common thing with COVID. Uh, after a couple of days, you almost feel like you're out of the woods. And then you crash again. A lot yeah. of people have mentioned yeah, there's, that. There, yeah, there's been, it's almost like uh, different phases of symptoms. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll have this kickoff of some, and everybody is still different, but yeah, that first phase for me, I thought was all of it. And you do kind of come out of the woods, fever drop back to normal, you know, and, and I think from a biohacking perspective, just to get on that wavelength, you know, the aura ring was a great tool throughout this and having that, seeing my temperature start to actually regulate again and go back to normal on the trends. I was like, oh yeah, definitely. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm going to be out of the woods in no time. Did it match up with taking your temperature with using a thermometer? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The uh, the trend and the temperature um, above my norm matched perfectly with what I was taking on the thermometer. And ironically, my respiratory rate as well was correlating. And that's right around that day three mark is when the respiratory rate just shot through the roof. Yeah, it went from about 15... Uh, breaths per minute to 20. And that was the highest I'd ever gone. And all the trends wow. on my aura ring were showing this massive spike and it was correlating with exactly how I was feeling. So that was really interesting to get that, that instant feedback of, of symptoms and, and how I was either getting worse or improving. Yeah. I want to go more into the aura ring stuff specifically in a little bit. Just, I'm wondering, did you have anything on the aura ring before you started feeling that? I know you went back to dig a little bit deeper. I think where the pre-data helped me a lot with the aura ring was more that I was able to look at what my trends were over time and my norms. And as you know, it took me a long time to get an aura ring because I felt my sleep's perfect and I don't need this data because I'm already just naturally a great sleeper and have a good, you know, I was like the- Superhuman. I was the- Mr. Perfect. Your whole family buys them the same day and it took me a lot longer to finally come around. But once I got it, it was really amazing data. And like you said, we can go a little more into the aura ring, but using that foundation as a baseline was what really started to trigger for me when things were getting out of whack and when all my averages were just soaring and, and, and correlating with the symptoms I was having. Yeah. Just to add to the pre-data. So if it's okay, I mentioned this now. So Aura is actually writing an article about us and our experience with COVID and what the ring showed. And so we sent them all like screenshots or data. They obviously have extra access to the back end of our data, but the professor that is running the big study on aura rings and COVID, they are trying to be able to predict COVID three days before someone is symptomatic. That's the goal of the study. So the professor that's running that study, we actually were on a phone call with him last week and we gave him permission to look at our data further. So he's going to see if there 
if there was any pre-data, maybe not like huge numbers that we would see, but he might be able to see a slight change in, in something else because yeah. he's looking at this data. He's more familiar with the trends. He's familiar with yeah. the trends. He's also able to see analytics that we can at the app level. You know, he can see the temperature changes throughout the day. He can, he's also done a lot of correlation to try and find where, where the similarities are. And right. I think it's more complex than just your temperature spiked and your actual temperature was spiking too. So it all matches, you know, there was, he's found some really interesting correlations that I think will be helpful to find out and anything we can do to try and find those markers early, a couple of days ahead of time. And, you know, if he can present some of those, I'd be happy. You know, I'd love to bring those up later and share. Yeah. And they're going to do another article about that later, but that's why ordering and the MBA have teamed up. I think they're hoping that that can be a really big help. (laughs) in predicting yeah. early. That's so cool. So for anyone that doesn't know about this, Aura Ring is doing what's called a TEM predict study. And it's half healthcare workers, correct? It's like 3,000 healthcare workers they sent rings mm-hmm. to. And the other half is previous Aura Ring users or current Aura Ring users. And it's sponsored research at the University of California in San Francisco. And just as Renee said, they're trying to see if they can predict the onset of this illness before it becomes a thing. And yeah, it, it's been blowing up in the media because of the NBA. It's really cool. It's They're putting a lot of money yeah. into protecting these athletes. Yeah, because we know, I guess with any virus, the scariest thing is that you're contagious before you have symptoms, mm-hmm. right? And especially that 48 hours prior. So if we have some kind of technology that can help predict that, I mean, it could be life-changing in this pandemic. So, so we'll see. Just to go back, Ryan, so now looking back at that data, is there any way you would have noticed a change and maybe been a little bit more curious about what was to come before you felt symptoms? And Renee too, but I think I know the yeah. answer already. I, I, I wish I could have seen a couple more ahead of time. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I saw anything that it definitely started to show the minute I was out of whack in the first night of not being able to sleep. And that's why, you know, even that professor asked a lot about what was causing trouble sleeping. Was it temperature? Like you just felt very uncomfortable at a temperature level all night long. Was it that you just didn't feel like it was good quality sleep? And for me, as I looked at the during data, that was probably the most, the during having COVID data, that was the most interesting to me because my trends, I think the biggest difference between Renee and I, that was really interesting with sleep was that I normally have a a very healthy amount of deep deep sleep every night. I don't sleep as many hours as Renee on average, but I get higher quality deep and more REM, and I just tend to have really good quality sleep. So once I jumped into the COVID symptoms and started having trouble sleeping, obviously waking up in sweats and things made staying asleep difficult, and I'd have adrenaline spikes and all that that would mess it up. But my deep on nights when I actually did make it through the night was going from about an hour and a half a night to suddenly no more than 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, the most I could get in a night, even though I felt like I was dreaming, which was probably from having a decent amount of REM. You were in bed or in bed and on the couch for a lot of hours. Oh yeah. I had about 12 and a half hours in bed, like one of the first few days of having symptoms. And my deep was 30 minutes, 40 minutes or something wow. like that. So my and we know that that's where up. most of your immune recovery happens in deep sleep. Yeah. And that's what Renee and I were comparing against each other's data. Uh, and her having such a healthy amount of deep sleep during COVID 
Renee, you were getting your best readiness scores ever. You were yeah, getting my your- best sleep scores, best readiness scores. I mean, I was sleeping, I would say about 11 hours a night, but I was getting two or three hours of deep sleep every night. So that was a big thing. Again, like I recovered much faster than Ryan in case anyone didn't catch on to that. And so the question was, why did I recover faster? Especially because I don't feel like I have a great immune system, um, especially compared to Ryan. So I was able to get all that deep sleep. And I think I was just recovering and fighting it so much faster. Exactly. What's um, the answer? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was especially interesting because well, typically Renee's immune system doesn't fight things as quickly as mine either. Yeah. So it was really ironic to see such a different experience. We do wonder if it had to do with the temperature regulation, because obviously Ryan was having a fever of 102. How do you sleep through that? That's pretty uncomfortable versus my fever, quotation marks, was a 99.5. So I was able to sleep pretty comfortably. And the other big difference was I was able to use our infrared sauna every day. I mean, 30 to 40 minutes, literally every day for 10 days. I felt amazing. I would get in there and just sweat buckets. I'd get out. I'd feel awesome. Ryan would try and go in there for five minutes and he was just like, I have to get out of here. I've never been so uncomfortable in my life. So I think the temperature regulation maybe played a role in the deep sleep difference. Absolutely. I mean, being in Las Vegas too, with it being 105 out, you know, even going for a walk around the block was nearly impossible for me. And Renee was doing that daily. I could barely even sit on the rooftop in the sun for a minute just to try and get some vitamin D and get better. I mean, I just couldn't get my average regulatory temperature was so out of whack. And the infrared sauna, it's not like a typical ceramic sauna where a ceramic heater where you're feeling that hot air. I normally feel fine in the infrared sauna and comfortable even at 135 degrees in there. And so I couldn't even last. I was just hyperventilating, had to get out of there. So that made it hard for sure, just to not be able to manage my average body temperature. So Ryan, do you think that because you don't have a history of getting sick very many times in your life. Whereas Renee, probably you don't ever get really sick, Renee, but you've had more instances of illness in your life. So do you think, I guess this question is for you, Renee, that your immune system is a little more vigilant and was just like ready to attack and take care of this thing? Whereas maybe Ryan's immune system was a little more laid back and not prepared. I mean, that's a great question. I would love to have like an immune immunologist expert to come on and talk about that. Um, yeah, maybe Ryan's immune system was asleep. He's like, I just don't really need this anymore. <laughs> when um, I read a little bit of research in that area, but I don't know that anyone has confirmed that. So yeah, we'll have to get an immunologist on the show for sure. Yeah. And the other interesting thing about the immune function is we actually both ran our genetic tests through found my fitness to look at what Rhonda Patrick was finding on the COVID-19 genetic factors. So Interesting. One thing that Ryan had that I did not have was he had an increased risk for a hyperinflammatory response to COVID-19. So I wonder if that was part of the problem as well, because we do know that inflammation is a big concern with COVID-19, right? So that's why- And overall health in general. Right. Overall health. So a lot of the connections we're seeing, you know, with people having more severe COVID-19, you know, obesity, heart disease, lung disease, things that are already kind of more inflammatory states. These are the people that are not reacting well because when you do get sick, so let's back up for a second. When you get sick, your body has a slight inflammatory response. Inflammation is a good thing. Acute inflammation is helpful. It gets us to survive and fight off these things. It's when the inflammation keeps going and it gets out of control 
that's when it's super dangerous. So again, when you're already in an inflamed state, like most of America is, (laughs) then you have this out of control inflammatory response. Mm -hmm. So back to the genetic factor, we know genetics aren't the end all be all, but if Ryan had a slight increased risk to this hyperinflammatory response, potentially could be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That makes sense. So other than the infrared sauna, can you explain any, some of the other differences? Like, I think I recall Renee, I know you take CBD pretty regularly and I think Ryan, you do not. Do you think that had any effect? Right. And that kind of ties back to the inflammatory response. So I take CBD, I would say probably five nights a week just to help with overall inflammation, brain function, sleep. Ryan, how often do you take CBD? Twice a month. I, like I like the CBD gummies. They taste good. So every once in a while, <laughs> every once in a while, I'll have one or two. Um, yeah, not not, not consistently, <laughs> not consistently. Right. And you know, so that could have been. Yeah. That's just one more factor we're considering because um, actually, there's been some really good research now showing CBD may be helpful for COVID nineteen. So I already had that like flowing in my system. My receptors were happy. You and maybe. What I wanted to say is I think it's important to call out that it's. I really wanted to give the full context of everything we were doing and taking and trying. Obviously, some of it is speculatory in terms of whether it, it directly impacted or not, and the, the research out there is limited. But I wanted to make sure we're always kind of sharing that full perspective of everything we did. Yeah, are you talking about supplements? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, why don't you finish the rest of your experience? So you had a resurgence of this the night sweats, the fever, but then I know it turned into something different, which you haven't talked about yet. Yeah. So once phase two, if you want to call it kind of started for me, that's when the respiratory stuff started. Now I also had a 12 straight day fever. I guess my temperature, well, I had two days of fever. It kind of regulated a little bit. And then I went, you know, eight straight days after that with 102 plus fever. And, you know, then the respiratory items kicked in as well. And at that point, obviously, I think it was right around when Renee finally got a positive COVID test. And so we now knew it was COVID, started to lose sense of taste and smell, the typical symptoms that are out there publicly around what you typically will experience with having COVID. And respiratory obviously was the most scary thing for me because I didn't want that to progress into anything worse, potentially evolve into a you know, bacterial infection or a secondary pneumonia or something in my lungs. And it's almost this claustrophobic feeling when you're dealing with any kind of a, a breathing challenge. And so when that sort of piggybacked on my fatigue and you know, now I walk up the stairs and not only am I weak, but I'm also completely out of breath and I couldn't even take a deep breath without immediately starting to cough. That was a struggle for me for sure. And so I started to try to sleep on the couch, I think, because I was sitting up a little more. It was helping somewhat. I think you started to read like what's the best way to sleep and sit and you had read, you know, laying on your back was the worst thing you could do. So you started sleeping, sitting up a little bit. Yes, because the lungs, I guess the bulk of your lungs are on the backside and you can restrict them, constrict them a lot if you're, if you're laying on your back too much. So this kind of goes into some of my recommendations or advice later, but I definitely want to call out what I learned during this phase was the breathing exercises. I, I think the breathing by far is the scariest part of this, as I said, and being able to start doing breathing exercises by essentially inhaling as deep as you can, counting to five, hold your breath, count to five, release, count to five, just doing that five rounds and then basically laying on your stomach and doing it again for five breaths. It was helping to span my lungs, get air into the full portion of your lungs 
and gradually get those full breaths back without coughing. But that, when I read that, I realized that I should have been doing that since day one, since even even pre-onset of symptoms, you want to start doing that as soon as possible. And people have claimed that's literally helped keep them out of the hospital and helped keep things from getting worse. So I would say to anyone, just because I think this is such an important tip, the minute you even suspect COVID or start having any kind of a breathing challenge, do those breathing exercises right away. They can't hurt. Best thing is at least they help minimize the, the strain later on your lungs and keep it from developing into something worse. Yeah. I would think even if it wasn't a cardiorespiratory illness, doing breath work is probably just going to help your nervous system and help reduce stress to help your body fight whatever it is. So even if you're like, I don't know, could be COVID, could be something else, like you might as well just focus on your breath, right? We should probably focus on our breath every day. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's a really interesting find. That's really cool. And just to add to that, I think something else that's really helpful, and honestly, this is a biohack I think everyone should have in their home anyways, is a pulse ox. So to check your oxygen saturation. I mean, you can get it on Amazon for like 20 bucks. It's so cheap. Something good to check every once in a while anyways, but especially during COVID, because what we're seeing is, you know, the people that are ending up in the ER, they're walking in with like extremely low oxygen saturation, which is very very serious. So that was one thing that I was constantly checking for Ryan. Like every two hours, I'd put it on his finger and check. And it was always like 99% because he- Oh, it never got lower than that. It was wild. Yeah. I think his lowest was 97. I was like, I was blown away, but it, but every time I checked it, I have to say, I was a little scared putting it on. I was like, what number am I going to see? But as soon as I saw that 99, I was like relieved comforted. Yeah. I think it's a good tool to have. I mean, what, what did you say some people were going into the hospital with? What levels? Our, so our, our cousin, um, who's actually an ER nurse in Maryland, she said she was seeing some people come in, in like the forties. <gasps> wow. But wow. like walking in and she's wow. like, how are you walking and functioning right now? Yeah. So because even low nineties is concerning. not good. Yeah. yeah. And that's what happens, you know, with someone with sleep apnea or sleep disordered breathing, right? We can actually measure their oxygen saturation while they're sleeping and we'll see it drop into like the seventies. So your body needs oxygen, a good thing to measure. Yeah. So we can put that in the show notes, a link to buy that. I think that's great. The yeah. mentioned that, Renee. It's a great tool for everyone at home. So also with the breathing challenges, uh, Renee got a nebulizer for me to use. And just to be able to have a nebulizer, which was at 50 bucks, I mean, it wasn't anything crazy expensive. Another tool though, to be able to really help with that breathing, get the vapors and oxygen. And then we were using some colloidal silver, not that that's necessarily required, but it was great to have that just for well, Renee, yeah. Well, people are careful. It's so controversial. I know. <laughs> people I know. get so upset about colloidal silver. Oh, but Renee, gosh, can you explain what the nebulizer is? Um, yeah, well, the nebulizer is really just a delivery mechanism to clean out your respiratory system. So a lot of people actually use it for, um, like if they have asthma or they have allergies, you know, this is like a very common thing. And I've mentioned it to people and they're like, oh, I already have a nebulizer. Like people actually already have these. This is nothing crazy biohacky or anything. But so the top three things that people are really talking about using in the nebulizer for COVID is the colloidal silver, which is what we used, hypertonic, which is like a very balanced mineral blend. Um, you could also use just like saline. And then the last thing is a liposomal glutathione. So a lot of people are using those. Yes, we use colloidal silver. I am a big fan of it. No, I have not turned blue yet. <laughs> <laughs> Important um, to know. 
And that person that turned blue, they were making it in their basement, right? And I mean, drinking gallons of it, yeah. but he ruined it for everyone. I, so. I think that kind of brings up a funny topic. You know, I, I think it's important, like I said earlier, to have the context of everything. I actually shared my full experience and the supplements I took and some of these other therapies and things that Renee recommended to try. I shared that story in two different groups on Facebook. And one of the groups I shared it in, there were two aura ring based groups. And one of the groups I shared it in, they basically said, I was a quack and uh, how can you even say all these things? And nutrition has nothing to do with COVID and nothing to do with recovery, which is the most insane thing, especially even from a non-expert perspective that anyone could say. But I think it's important to just have this full context. And that's what's so great about this conversation. None of this is required or recommended necessarily as, you know, magic solutions, but they're yeah, all and this is great. not medical advice. It's yeah, not what we're giving. But we're just sharing our experience. But it's great to have the full context of what might have impacted things and what might not have. And most of these things are very uninvasive and you're just trying to get through this more quickly. I mean, people shouldn't live in fear about catching it. Um, but at the same time, it's not fun and you have to kind of ride it out. Why not try to make your body as strong as you possibly can. I used an analogy in our uh, Aura Ring interview that I basically felt like if you aren't doing anything to strengthen your armor and be ready to really fight COVID for your immune system, it's kind of like going to war with a butter knife on the front line. Like you just, you want to give yourself ammunition to fight this thing. And during it, you want to continue to feed your body the best you can. And as a non-expert, having someone like Renee and, and you, Lauren, and your family to be able to guide me to do more to be stronger and have more armor was was great. And I think anything yeah. people can take out of this will help. So you're saying, Ryan, that a mask and a vaccine isn't the end all be all? It is not. <laughs> but oh. I think it, you know. Yeah, I said it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I said it. Well, you did, you know, not to like pat ourselves on the back, but like our family supporting you, I think was pretty awesome. We kind of all brainstormed, like, Lauren, what are you reading about this? And dad, what are you reading about that? Mom, you know, and we were all really here to support you through it. Yeah. And we're like, let we haven't tried the nebulizer. Let's do it. We haven't tried this. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, it would it would definitely be a crime if through this whole experience we're all going through with COVID, if the wake up call doesn't occur that we need to be preparing ourselves before something like this happens and not just be reactive and try to solve it on the spot. I think, you know, we've definitely got to get ourselves to a point where we're ready to fight for anything that comes our way, not just COVID, but any, any sickness or virus, you know? Yeah. This is not the only virus. There will be many more in our lifetime. I've seen some pictures. I've seen some pictures of people coming out of the hospital after a probably horrific, traumatic experience dealing with fighting COVID and their celebration is to have a a 12 pack of Pepsi. Like the guy has it in his wheelchair on his way out of the (laughs) hospital, a 12 pack of Pepsi as they just finished eating Jello and Rice Krispie treats uh, in the hospital for three weeks. So it's just, you know, obviously you could go on forever down that path, but it's a good time to really wake up and hopefully see that. That was my, I, I had it, to Ryan. call that out. <laughs> I, I have trained I him. It. Well. I love it. Renee has, Renee has wired me up. Yeah, and we're not paying him to say this, right? (laughs) Maybe, maybe in maybe in coffee. (laughs) So you guys don't have to answer this if you're not comfortable, but Vegas reopened fairly quickly, and you guys went back to working out. Uh, You went to a few restaurants. Can you speak to your lifestyle in those few weeks? And if you're comfortable saying yes or no, would you do all the same things again? So. Vegas is, it, first of all, it's a little unique being on, in my opinion, the 
other side, right? Like once you've had it, while I agree there's mixed information out there around whether you can catch it again, and we're still doing a lot of uncovering, there's still basic knowledge about viruses and things that I, at least in my school of thought and with Renee, I'm a believer that my chances of getting this again, at least at the same severity, is probably less likely, okay? But regardless, because of that, I now am still careful. I still wear a mask as we have to. But this city is kind of interesting in terms of Vegas specifically because we did reopen. There's obviously a lot of profit in the economy here with people being here and tourism. But it almost seems like most of the people, especially on the Strip, don't really care. I mean, you see people with the mask around their neck while they're drinking a beer and walking through the casino, and people just don't really care necessarily about being vulnerable. And ironically, going back to health and obesity and things that make you more predisposed to a bad reaction, these are by far the most unhealthy people, obviously, with a city that feeds on late nights and and drinking and gambling and all kinds of bad life habits that, uh, you know, these are probably the, the worst type of people to put themselves in this environment. But, um, but yeah, it almost seems as if they still have that lack of awareness. Uh, to answer your last question, I do have a slightly different perspective than I had before coming into this, though. I was definitely, like I said earlier, more speculatory around whether this is serious or not, at least for me. Uh, and now I would not wish upon anyone to actually get it. So being careful is still important. I just wish we had better solutions than uh, a mask when you think about the level of the technology and advancement we have in the world for other things. It's kind of crazy to see how vulnerable we are as a planet toward a virus, you know, when but that shows you how sick we are as a planet. Yeah. And, and I especially think that's what it's proving right now. And especially when you look at the U S and you see kind of where that volume has grown to being the most unhealthy country by far in the world. So anyway, yeah. Um, but, and also to answer like where, where we went, what we did. Yeah. As soon as Vegas reopened, I mean, we were at the gym, we were at the casinos, we were at the restaurants, like we were ready to be out and about. I personally was not at any point afraid of getting COVID. I know what I would do if I got it. I'm already, I was already taking a pretty basic immune protocol that I had started, I think in March, you know, elderberry, vitamin C, zinc, quercetin, glutathione, things like that. I was like, bring it on. I'm ready. Cause I, I do believe most of us are going to get exposed. I'm not, I'm 33. I'm young and healthy. I'm not going to hide in my house for the next two years. That's just not what I'm going to do. So I wasn't worried about getting it. So no, if I went back, I wouldn't really change anything that we did. You know, I think what's really interesting here, and I'd love to hear Lauren, you speak to this a little bit, you know, your world being around New York and that culture, as you said at the beginning of the episode, it's a whole different mentality there. And your circle, you have known some people that have gotten it and there's a lot of fear around it and all that. So for you, kind of how have you seen the the lifestyle shift over time in New York? And I will just say one more thing to add about Vegas. When we first reopened, you know, we have 3 million people in Vegas and there had been like, you know, 2000 cases. So just to put it into perspective, like I was like, that's nothing. You know, we had like 10 deaths. I'm like, okay, 10 people died. That's horrible. But that's out of 3 million people. Like the ratio is not that bad, but yes, versus New York. I mean, you're in a totally different world there. Yeah. It's hard to talk about numbers because data can be skewed in so many different directions. How you look at it, but I would say with New York, well, one, New Yorkers are really good at responding to traumatic events. (laughs) I don't know if that's like post 9-11, but uh, New Yorkers are very obedient, I think. And also the city cleared out very quickly. And if you are a Zach Bush follower, 
who believes that um, the PM 2.5 levels, which is basically like air pollution, is very high in a city like New York. I think just the evacuation of, I would say like, I don't know the numbers exactly. I It seems like two-thirds of the city had left initially. So that cleared out, the pollution cleared out, and the numbers stabilized very quickly. But people are still taking it very seriously. I have not seen a day where that has changed in my mind. Masks are everywhere, even outside in the park. I have had people run away from me when I've been running in the park without a mask on, shielding me from 20 feet away. So I I think it's just the approach. I, I don't necessarily believe in that because I think the fear is affecting your immune system on a deeper level, which we've talked about many times on this show. But I do think there is a call for taking this seriously. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Yeah, it did. And and just to follow up on that, I mean, there's so many differences across the country and... (laughs) It's just funny to think about Vegas versus New York. Like on the surface, it looks very different. And, you know, I, I do think we, that we should wear masks, but it still comes back to protecting our own health and having that army, as you said, Ryan, I, I love that analogy of like, you can't take a butter knife into war. Like we have <laughs> to take responsibility. I think Aura Ring is a fabulous piece of technology to help us do that. And I love that this 10 Predict study is trying to improve the algorithms because it seems like that wasn't super useful to predict that it was coming for you guys, but interesting to look back at the data and understand it. So I think it's just going to get more and more specific. And then just playing with all these different things that you guys found useful and and not like leaving anything out. Like we have to just take care of our immune systems. It's so personal. Just keep listening to our bodies. Like I think you made so many amazing points and I love that you guys had very different experiences. So I, I hope that that's helpful to our audience. So just to recap all of that, were there any other supplements or we'll just say hacks that you found really useful and just sort of like on the back end, like what what would your advice be being a coronavirus survivor? Yeah. Yeah. So in that line of thought, you know, I went, I I didn't share this part of my story yet, but I, at the very tail end, after having a fever for 12 days, Renee was talking with a practitioner in town that we know, a friend of ours, and he recommended that you know, I at least go get a chest x-ray, go to an urgent care clinic, make sure I'm not having any kind of a progressive respiratory thing that could be getting worse. And so I went into an uh, urgent care clinic and I basically had to beg them to even do a chest x-ray to tell me, hey, you're good. And they knew very little about COVID as most traditional medicine places don't really want to commit to any data or information at this point because there is so much unknown. But they gave me prescriptions for a I got a... You got like an inhaler, albuterol? They gave me albuterol. They gave me a prescription for a uh, fever reducer, a, like a severe level. like a prescription Tylenol, basically. Prescription-based Tylenol. And then you got a five-day antibiotic. Yes, yeah. And so being fairly anti-traditional medicine in terms of taking prescriptions unless I absolutely have to, I basically avoided most, I I picked them up, but I barely took any of them. This was on the tail end at 12 days in already of of symptoms. I did do the full antibiotic cycle because I just wanted to make sure I was not going to develop anything in my lungs that alternative medicine perhaps couldn't help at that point or something. And we were really careful with the antibiotics. It was like once a day and we were taking probiotics other times throughout the day. So we were being really careful protecting your gut with that. But everything else you didn't even want to touch. Yeah. Because you read the side effects, yeah. right? Yeah. The long list of side effects. And and I think a lot of people, one of the uh, general advice uh advices out there is to take, you know, 
a fever reducers. People are like, just take Advil every day. And, and obviously having a fever is your body fighting and, and trying to get better. So I didn't want to reduce the fever, although 12 straight days of it is pretty abnormal. So that <laughs> became a little scary. Uh, and I was battling with this balance of, do I use a fever reducer to fall asleep and sleep better? Or do I let myself wake up in sweat again and not sleep and therefore not get deep sleep and recover that way? So it was a tough predicament to be in, but definitely don't just rely on fever reducers and traditional medicine is essentially is the point. And then at that point, we also added in natokinase and a nitric oxide boosting supplement because those those were two things that the research was showing were helpful for people that were having a lot of respiratory issues with COVID. And also was take, I was taking liposomal vitamin C. I was taking from day one, a good amount of zinc, curcumin, elderberry, all from day one. Quercetin. Quercetin, all things that vitamin D3 with Mm-hmm. <laughs> very good. Um, and, and, I love yeah. this test. <laughs> He's like, is it K that goes with the D? Yes, very good. And then actually something we were just talking about this morning, we were trying to remember, um, I was taking methylene blue while I had COVID. And I was trying to remember with Ryan, I was like, how, I know I had given it to him at some point during the process because to back up. So methylene blue has some amazing antiviral properties. And actually, hopefully there's going to be some good research on that for COVID. I was like, I'll just take it because I would take it on a daily basis anyways. Um, but I think I gave it to you twice. Yeah. We were trying to figure that out. So I don't know if that played any. Yeah. Role. Yeah. I think the days I took it, I did feel a little more balanced throughout the day. I don't think it reduced fever or anything like that, but it definitely just made me feel a little more energy than I did from the chronic fatigue I was dealing with, uh, muscular fatigue. So it definitely was helping give me a little more energy on that front. But Great. I have one final question. Do sure. you have any remaining uh, symptoms or side effects? I don't think so. Oh, oh, I do want to say one thing. That was definitely really unique. And I joked with Renee, I called her a witch doctor when she did it. But when I had the really bad eye strain at the very beginning, you talk about biohacking as a tool and using alternative medicines as a tool to, to feel better. I basically had that really bad eye strain and Renee said, hold on a minute, I'll be right back. And she goes in the kitchen, grabs peppermint oil and comes over and rubs peppermint oil right above my eyes. And after days of struggling with this eye pain, I wish Renee thought of this idea I'm sorry. earlier, <laughs> but, but literally rubs this peppermint oil above my eye, eyebrows and the pain immediately went away. I finally felt release and, and, uh, Relief. Relief. Yeah, I, fi- I finally felt relief from this endless eye strain because it was this nice stimulation above your eyelids. And I don't know, it just made it completely go away. And I, like I said, I called Renee a witch doctor because I was so blown away. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it was really cool to see how something as simple as an essential oil can make a difference as well. So there's just, there's really a cool. lot people can do. And obviously we're happy to share our story with anyone that has more questions. We're happy to go into more detail on anything. Definitely, Renee in the future can share as well around the study that. Yeah, when the Aura articles come out, and they might come out around the same time as this episode. So we'll definitely link to those in the show notes. But just circling back to Lauren's final question, yet I don't think you really have any symptoms still. You? Oh, that's what I'm sorry. I misunderstood your question. You were asking if I still had symptoms today. Wow. I really went down a rabbit hole then. I missed that. That was great, though, (laughs) because the peppermint oil was a really important piece. No, no. I, I think I've been fortunate enough that. All of the, the, the breathing challenges did take a, at least another week or two after my fever finally leveled out to go away. I still was having a little bit of limitation on breathing. It took a while before I could start to work out again. But 
definitely back to normal today, 100%. Um, back to working out at full full ability and feeling good, fortunately. So, and that goes for both Renee and I. We're definitely back to normal. I think Renee might have a little bit of lingering sense of smell. I, yeah, I That's think my it. sense of smell is still not 100%, but. All the major struggling that. symptoms, uh, yeah, definitely are gone, which is great. great. So for that. Are you still on cat litter duty, Renee? <laughs> for life until my sense of smell comes back, I guess. <laughs> oh, you guys, thank you so much. This is really fun. I think we have our work cut out for us for show notes. I think we have a lot to share as far as supplements and, and the hacks that Renee and Ryan mentioned. And we're really big in, on education and just sharing research. So check out the very lengthy show notes for this episode and stay tuned for the release of the interview with Renee and Ryan and any other updates on the Temp Predict Aura Ring study. If you don't have an Aura Ring yet, get one. And I don't know how many times we can tell you. How many times? <laughs> and yeah, as Ryan said, if you guys have any further questions for either of them, I think they would be happy to chat some more. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for letting me be a part of the Biohacker Babes podcast. It's so cool to finally get to be a guest. I no longer had to just so watch from the So fun to have lines. you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you this so is much. what we do every week. Welcome to our world. <laughs> yeah. And thank you, Lauren, for asking such great questions. This was a lot of fun. Of course. Amazing. So much fun. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. Happy biohacking.